Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, we are having our colleague on today, Chris Vanini, our colleague from The Athletic, to discuss. Uh, Chris covers everything. So we can talk to him. We're going to talk to him about San Diego State and this bizarre situation about their possible divorce from the Mountain West. Uh, Chris knows all things Group of Five. We, You and I have been interested for a little while in Boise State, whether that program is slipping. And Chris, and this might be the most uh, important thing for our audience, has been covering every step of the way of EA Sports, the return of NCAA football. And there's been some headlines about that recently. So we get into that with him as well. So let's get to our interview. We are joined by our colleague at The Athletic, Chris Fanini, to discuss quite a few things. I mean, Chris covers all of college football, not just group of five. But we still think of him sometimes as the group of five guru. And there's an interesting story in the news right now, Chris. San Diego State, are they, have they been kicked out of the Mountain West? Are they um, in an open relationship with the Mountain West and the Pac-12? What's going on here? Well, they may have accidentally gotten them, themselves into a position where they are kind of kicked out of their own doing. They're not actually kicked out. You need like three quarters of vote for that to happen. But what happened last week is the school sent a letter to the Mountain West and all 11 school presidents to say, hey, we intend to resign from the league. Can we talk about uh, this exit fee deadline of June 30th? Can we extend that? Can we lower the bio? Could we pay it over a longer period of time? Can we talk about that? The Mountain West because it was sent to all of the schools, took that as, oh, you're leaving. Okay, so we're going to start the process now of you leaving. That means your president's off the board. That means you're not going to get your uh, distribution. All right. And then San Diego State said, no, 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 no. That's not what we were saying. We just wanted to discuss these things. And the Mountain West was like, no, we still think you're leaving. And that's where things stand right now. Because San Diego State, if it wants to leave, has to give a one-year notice by June 30th and pay about 17-ish million dollars to do that. If you leave after June 30th for the next year, that doubles to about 34 million. So now we're in this kind of weird standoff where San Diego State didn't quite want to leave necessarily right away for next year, but the Mountain West is all all of a sudden like, no, we're not going to let you kind of play us like that. And so it's kind of in this weird standoff where San Diego State either has to make up or take a risk and leave next year. They'll be in the Mountain West this coming year, no matter what. But it's about 24, 25. That remains TBD. So none of us are lawyers. Um, Chris, in your understanding of this, because I read your story uh, this morning, and it's curious because you would think legally that whoever wrote this would have had a either a clearer understanding of, of what they were trying to communicate and how it would be perceived? Um, or is that just lawyers getting in to try to leverage what's best for them? Like, how do we, I don't want to say, how do we interpret this? But if you were San Diego state, what was the, what would the uh, best play have been? I mean, are you just going to like call them and, you know, it's not like this is one of the, one of the texts and be like, Hey, you kind of, you know, like the lights on, I, I don't know how they, how they should have played it. Knowing what you know now, how do you think San Diego State should have played this? My understanding is because it sent the letter to the other presidents, that's what kind of kickstarted things. It literally says in the bylaws, 
if you're going to leave, you have to give notice to the conference and all the members. If San Diego State had just reached out to the conference to be like, hey, can we discuss the exit fee? Things might be in a bit of a different situation. But because uh, they but, because they involved everybody in the league, that was the that was the the misstep, it sounds like. Yes, because that is in the bylaws of how you do it. So the Mountain West was going to take it that way. It, it, it really is an issue of semantics here. And the lawyers are certainly the ones who are going to be figuring this out. But yeah, because the bylaw state, you got to tell everybody, not just the conference. And that's what they did. Even if they didn't mean it to come across that way, that's what they did. So the more I've been thinking about it, the more I think. Um, so on the one hand, it would seem absolutely crazy, right? You're not going to go ahead and, and commit to exiting without like, having it in writing that you're being invited to another conference, right? But they must be pretty confident they're getting the Pac-12 invite or they wouldn't have initiated this process. So could they say, all right, you're right, June 30th, we're out $17 million. And if in the off chance, everything goes, you know, hell breaks loose and the Pac-12 doesn't exist and they that invite never materializes, it's not, it's not like the Mountain West won't take them back. Like they need San Diego State, right? Well, that's the whole thing right now is that San Diego State really just wanted to look at all of its options and assess kind of what all of its potential options could be if a Pac-12 invite doesn't come by June 30th. The fact that they needed to send this out would seem to indicate there is little confidence that that is going to happen. We're at, as we're recording, that's 10 days away. Lots of presidents are on vacation at this time of year, so it seems difficult. So San Diego State is now in the spot of, do we pace, do do we just go ahead as if we're exiting without a landing spot for 24-25 and hope the Pac-12 works out and gives us an invitation next year and we do that and we're fine? Or if, like you said, the Pac-12 falls apart, then what do you do? Would the Mountain West not want them back? They just played in the national championship game. You have to imagine the Mountain West wouldn't say no but I think the league kind of saw an opening for some leverage here and doesn't want to just be be publicly out there like they're being used as like a holding spot for somebody else. And so they're going to be a little bit more aggressive with this. I'm kind of surprised, honestly, kind of how aggressive this whole thing has been. But that's what conference realignment does. It hurts feelings. It gets people upset. It makes you question what's going to survive and what doesn't. And so now San Diego State either has to mend the fences and say, no, we're going to stick around for two more years or take a risk and see what happens. But things are a bit uh, tense right now. Stu, uh, um, Chris, if you are a San Diego State person, and look, we work with Antonio Morales, big San Diego State uh, proud alum. What do you think that their, their best case scenario is? Is it, because you and I talked about this right before the national title game, because I remember specifically being out um, in Southern California with you. And I feel like this conversation came up. Um, and back then the feeling was, okay, they're going to probably end up in the PAC 12 and they fit in the, they would fit in the PAC 12 because they would be the Southern California school that would be there with, with UCLA and USC leaving I, in some ways, I think that would be tougher for the Oregon State and Washington States of the world because when it comes to recruiting those Southern California kids, 
if San Diego State was a Mountain West school, it's not it's not quite as attractive as it would be if that is now a Pac-12 school. They have a new stadium. And to me, it's like, okay, this is going to work out. We just may have to grit our teeth for the next couple of weeks before the Pac-12 situation kind of uh, clears up. We think it'll clear up a little bit soon. Um, if you're San Diego State, you're just like, okay, just come on, let's let's ride this through and let's get into the Pac-12. Are you sweating bullets? Well, I don't think they wanted to. That's why they responded to the Mountain West to say, no, 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 this isn't actually an official notice. They did. They they have tried to backtrack and de-emphasize that a bit. I don't. I don't think they want to go out into the unknown for however no, long. But long term, long term, mm-hmm. they do not want to stay in the Mountain West. Ideally, they would. If you're them, how would you rank these these scenarios? get into the Pac-12, even if it's a Pac-12 without Colorado and maybe even Arizona, go to the Mountain West, I'm sorry, stay in the Mountain West or go to the Big 12 if that's possible, which is now a, I don't want to say bloated, but there's a lot of leagues. It's a better basketball league potentially, especially if Arizona ends up in there. Um, Which to you would be the most attractive situation if you're San Diego State? It would be to join the Pac-12. I, I mean, for for academic reasons, for geography reasons, you know, they flirted with the American back in 2021. Four Mountain West schools did, and they ultimately all decided to stay. Part of that was because, hey, San Diego State and Boise, if, if we get a Power 5 invite, we don't want to have to do double exit fees in two different conferences. But part of it was, look, we don't want to fly to the other side of the country for all kinds of sports. The Pac-12 makes a lot more sense geographically, as long as the league is intact and somewhat of a power five, so to speak, conference still, that is the number one option. Number two option in terms of Big 12 or Mountain West would probably be Big 12 just because of the money at that point. Even though you would be traveling a lot more, you'd be making a lot more money doing it. So even if you have to go out to Cincinnati and West Virginia and UCF and whoever else is in that league, that would be what you'd want to do. But the sense is that the Big 12 and San Diego State are neither of each other's priorities right now. Both are looking elsewhere. If things fall apart, maybe things pop up on the table. But you'd like to stay in the Pac-12. But if a Power 5 invite comes, you kind of got to do whatever it is rather than sticking around in the Mountain West. So... We want to expand this conversation and talk some more group of five. We actually had somebody on Twitter ask us a couple of weeks ago, hey, why do you guys never talk about the group of five? Fair point. It's uh, There's a lot to, I mean, the biggest thing to me this year is it's going to be hard for people to figure out who's in what conference now. Because the, the dominoes of Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati going to the Big 12 ended up affecting, if correct me if I'm wrong, every other group of five conference except the MAC. Yes. So some of the changes already happened. You saw the Sun Belt at Old Dominion, Marshall, Southern Miss, and James Madison last year. This year, those three American schools are gone. They're adding six from Conference USA. It's Charlotte, North Texas, Rice, UAB, FAU, UTSA. They are now in the American. Conference Jeez. USA is adding uh, Jacksonville State. Sam Houston, Liberty, and New Mexico State. The MAC did not make any changes. So yes, lots of realignment in the group of five has happened, or I guess is technically going into effect on July 1st. 
this all happened because Texas and Oklahoma decided to go to the SEC. That hasn't happened yet. Yet everything else that's everything else that will have happened because of it will have happened before Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, that's all, that's that's not surprising. Um, that was a lot of schools, like almost random. I know why they did. I remember when the AAC picked the schools that they did. It was all about they wanted major metro market teams. They wanted hot recruiting places. But it just feels so random now that like FAU of all schools is in there. Rice, like these aren't particularly great programs that they're calling up to the to their power six or whatever Oresco is calling it now. But anyway, all right, given that new lineup, Tulane obviously had a special year last year. Um, are they still the team to beat in the AAC or did, you know, obviously losing their star running back and some other key players as well, like, does it open the door for somebody else, including maybe one of those new schools? The door is open. Tulane lost quite a bit from last year's team, but they did keep head coach Willie Fritz. They did keep quarterback Michael Pratt, and they've been recruiting pretty well. And the conference is going to be easier now because you don't have Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston in it. So Tulane would probably be, still be my preseason pick, but I do think it's pretty open SMU, I'm very curious about. They have added a ton of transfers this year. One of the top transfer classes in the entire country, not just a group of five. And they've, we'll see if they've fixed up that defense. Preston Stone, former four-star quarterback recruit, should be the guy at quarterback. So we'll see if they make a big jump in year two under Rhett Lashley. UTSA, one conference USA the last two years. Um, they bring Frank Harris and Jeff Trailer and a ton of people back, although they did just lose one of their top receivers to the portal. So I'm curious if they make how they make that move up to the American from Conference USA. But those would be the teams that jump out first in terms of who can win the American. But Tulane coming off the Cotton Bowl win, coming off of beating USC, I still think you got to put them as a favorite right now, but anything could happen in that league. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. 
Terms and conditions apply. I also thought Tulane did a really good job staffing-wise. They brought in some really good assistants. They kept their play caller who was, uh, you know, in Slade Nagel, who became in much demand as people realized he was actually calling plays, even though he didn't have the OC title. Um, Greg McMahon comes in as a special teams coordinator. He's as good as there is in all of football. I think that was a really good addition and a few other guys. So, and look, their quarterback's really, really good. Stu and I talked about him in our QB tiers deal a couple of weeks back. And I think it took, I think it took them to at least get into the postseason. Maybe not. I think people found out about him, you know, you know, around, um, around conference championship weekend, just, you know, nationally yeah. get wind of, Ooh, this guy's really good. It's not just, some of the some of the skill guys they had. Um, I want to go to back. Stu and I talked about this a little offline when we knew we were going to have you on, and we talked about the Mountain West in the context of San Diego State. But for a long time, dating back to certainly the bulk of the Chris Peterson era, Boise State was the kind of the power brand that they the like the sure thing, honestly, out of whatever we were calling. I don't think we were calling it Group of Five back then. I don't know what we were calling it. Um, I don't remember, but Boise state has stumbled a little, right? They're not, they're not definitely, you know, they're not hapless or anything like that, but they don't feel as consistent or as dominant as they were. Do you feel like they have given, given up space or do you think that was a hiccup for Andy Avalos's program now? They've definitely given up space. But also, the top of the group of five just changed with UCF and Cincinnati and Houston leaving. Boise State has not won the Mountain West each of the last two years. Um, and they started off very their, – their first year, 2021, under Andy Avalos was their worst season in decades, really. And they had a rough start to last season. Fired their offensive coordinator, and Hank Bachmeyer went in the transfer portal. But then things turned around. Taylor Green – Redshirt freshman quarterback, really tall, uh, good running quarterback, really improved as the year went on. They went on a big winning streak, ultimately lost the Mountain West Championship game to Fresno State and Jake Hayner. But that team at the end of the year really kind of looked like old Boise State again. They have to replace some things, especially on defense, but they are my they are they are my pick to be the Mountain West favorite. The problem is their schedule starts off very difficult. They've got they're at Washington. They've got UCF at home week two, and then they're going to San Diego State week four, then going to Memphis week five. So that's a very, very difficult start to the schedule. If Boise State can get through that, I think they can go on a real run and be the group of five New Year's Six team. Um, but you're right. Their, their, their brand has slipped the last couple of years. It hasn't been the same under Andy Avalos as it has been under Chris Peterson and Brian Harson and Dan Hawkins. Actually, one just one point on that. So from 2002 to the time Chris Peterson left, and actually one year after with Brian Harson, they were in the top finished in the top 20 10 times, which is a lot over like what amounts to a 15 year stretch. After Brian Harson's first year, um, they and that's almost that's going that's not basically from 2015. I think that's like eight seasons. They have not finished in the top 20, 20, zero. It's like they yeah. had three, te- three teams that finished in the top 25, but they have definitely backslid and we'll see if they can get that back. And, and yeah, I mean that, that 2014 
Fiesta Bowl season where they played Arizona. That was really the last time Boise State was at that level. They've done really good in the Mountain West, but they haven't had those big non-conference wins like they used to, you know, beating Virginia Tech, beating Georgia, doing these other things. That's why the week one Washington game could be interesting because everybody has high hopes for Washington. But we'll see then if Boise State maybe has a chance to get back to what it used to be. It just shows you what a special era that was, especially at the peak, right? Like 2009, 10, 11. Um, I mean, if you go back and look at those teams, not, you know, we always remember Kellen Moore, but they had a lot of NFL players. And it's like, you look back now, first of all, Boise State was in the whack for most of that. Like, how did mm-hmm. a whack program develop all of these NFL players? And they were, you know, they were very good. Who's to say if they were, um, you know, number two or number three in the country as they were in the BCS rankings that one year? Um, they were very good. And well, they had a very defined model of what he was looking for. I mean, having yeah. spent a ton of time with Chris Peterson over the last two years now, and I think they had an identity and they knew exactly what they were looking for. A lot of those coaches knew exactly what he wanted, how he operated. And I don't think it's coincidence, like the year after he left, they were still really good, but then it started to backslide after some of the, you know, the guys that he brought in. I think even because I, I mentioned this, we have to do that recruiting series. And so I was one of the, one of the schools that I was writing for the athletic was uh, Washington and his first year at, at UW, they, they took a couple of Boise State commits, followed him there. And people, I think some of the Washington fans were like, oh, those guys are not like Pac-12 guys. And they turn out to be really good players in for Washington. But I think that was because they knew what they wanted. And I think it's hard to, 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 to bottle that because, I mean, you're talking about, I know you said 2009, but it was really, I think even 2005, this is, bef- you know, before Kellen even, they were in the top five, they finished in the top five and, um, you know, it's just like, I think it's hard to keep that lightning in a bottle because certainly they, you know, Dan Hawkins and Dirk Cutter had a bunch of success before Peterson was the head coach, but I just think it, it, esc- it elevated quite a bit once he got it. But they also, during that long period of success, didn't invest or front fundraise at the level they probably should have. And that's been a focus of the recently new AD, Jeremiah Dickey. They've set some fundraising records, I think, the last couple of years as they've tried to get back to that. As you see UCF and Cincinnati and Houston jumping to Power 5 programs and Boise State kind of got leapt over by those. And as you see what's going to happen with the Big 12, who knows what's going to happen. They're trying to get back into that. They've got a big facilities vision, master plan, and all that kind of stuff. Actually comes back to Mountain West drama. Remember, they have their own carve out of the Mountain West TV deal. Uh, they get more money than everybody else. All their home games are on Fox, I believe. And so they make some more money and they threaten to sue the Mountain West when the Mountain West considered taking that away. So there has been the Mountain West since its formation, you know, 23 ish years ago has always had a lot of drama going on. Bruce, do you want to still do the question about the coaches or should we go I to the NBA? Okay, go ahead. Chris, while we got you, um, you know, Stu and I have talked a lot about, you know, our coach, you know, rankings is, you know, and I know you've, you've done similar. There's a bunch of guys who are at this group of five level who I, I feel like are really, really good. They just haven't been head coaches for, for that long. If I ask you to put on your, you know, look at a crystal ball, I'm going to give you five names. 
and you tell me who you think five years from now is at the biggest program or maybe is the, I don't want to say is the most successful because, you know, a couple of these guys could, and maybe all of them could still be at the programs they're at, but who would you think is the, you know, is the one who is ends up at the biggest. And that is John Sumrall who had a great first year at Troy Kane Womack at South Alabama, Jamie Chadwell, who's been the head coach the longest. He left uh, Coastal to go to Liberty. Charles Huff, who spent a lot of time as a top group of five, you know, top power five assistant, is now at Marshall. And Jeff Trailer, who's won a ton of games already at UTSA. First, I think all five of those guys have huge upside and will likely have bigger jobs within the next couple of years. They're all on a good trajectory. But the two names that jump out are John Summerall at Troy and Jeff Trailer. So if Summerall's a guy who coached at Kentucky for a while, uh, coached at Troy before that under Neil Brown, and Troy had one of the best defenses in the entire country last year in his first season. They won 12 games. They won the Sun Belt. They beat UTSA in the bowl game. They had a monster year in his first season taking over a team that had won, I think, like five games, like three years in a row. So they really went to another level. I think he's got that thing turned around very, very quickly. And I could easily see him getting an SEC job in a couple of years. Jeff Trailer though, might have the bigger job. And by bigger job, I mean this guy is perfectly suited to be the head coach of Texas or Texas Tech if Jimbo somehow gets fired. You mean Texas or- a Sorry, yes, Texas A&M, Texas A&M or Texas. Uh, if Jimbo gets fired or Sark gets fired or something like that. He actually passed on the Texas Tech job uh, last year when it was open early in the season when they fired Matt Wells, decided to stay at UTSA, signed a big contract with a big buyout. Jeff Trailers, a former legendary high school coach. Everybody loves him. We A couple of years ago, we did that recruiting confidential, Sam Kahn and I, and talked to a bunch of Texas high school coaches. Everybody loves Jeff Trailer. He has turned that place immediately into the best team at Conference USA, and now it will contend in the American. Um, he's a guy who, if you give him the Texas job, I mean, I'd, I'd say, look out, that 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 thing may finally become a monster. So I think Trailer maybe has a higher ceiling in terms of the job he might get, but I also think John Summerall could be an SEC head coach pretty soon. Studi, Stu, weigh in on that. Not on the Jeff Trailer part, but just on who you think of those five guys. Um, I, I got to say that I'm I'm like you, Chris, really high on Jeff Trailer. The only question is, like, we've seen that Texas and Texas A&M jobs swallow up. I mean, Kevin Selman was very successful at Houston. Um, we've seen those those jobs swallow up seemingly um, Tom Herman, like really guys that probably had as much, if not more respect at the time at their group of five schools as Trailer does now. But I think what he's done at UTSA is phenomenal. Um, a program with such little history, the plays in the, you know, the, the, the Alamo dome. Uh, I mean, Larry Coker was their coach before and to, to have the run that they're having right now is extremely impressive, probably more so than, you know, I don't, I don't want to denigrate South Alabama by any means, but like, um, to be then doing don't. that. Then don't. Yeah. No, I'm not. I, I, I mean, don't need to denigrate guys. South Alabama. Come on. I have respect for all the guys you ju- you just said. I really like Jamie. Yeah. Bruce and I've talked about Jamie Chadwell a million times. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. really respect him. So, um, turning the chap, turning the ch- topics one more time. 
One subject you also follow very closely for us is the long-awaited reboot of the EA Sports NCAA football series. And it's so close now. It was announced in 2021, I believe. Um, it's getting closer, but there's also like some controversy about how much the players are going to get paid. So give us a little primer on when people can expect this game and whether we're actually going to have real college football players in it. So there's a lot of confusion and I think out of context stuff that has been out there about this game. It was, it was originally supposed to come out in summer 2023. That's what the EA Sports had been telling the schools. That changed. It got pushed back to summer 2024 because it, you got to put a lot into making a video game and they wanted to make it really good. One of the biggest things we were waiting for was real players in the game because now NIL, you can do all this kind of stuff now. EA Sports wanted real players in the game back in the day. They offered to do it, but the NCAA said... You couldn't. So now they can. And the way you do that is through group licensing. And there are a couple different companies out there that do this, where basically you handle large group licenses for a school. Player just has to opt in and they get their money for jerseys or, or whatever the thing is. So EA Sports talked to several uh, group licensing companies and ultimately a couple of weeks ago went with one team uh, LLC, which is uh, they they work with they work with Madden. They do the NFLPA. They do a lot of the pro sports uh, unions. Kind of set those deals up. So then, you know, one team gets the deal, and then there's some stories out there that are kind of misleading. On three first reports that players are going to get five hundred dollars, about five hundred dollars, no royalties. As far as I can tell, that's the only place. Every been player, rep- every player again. who play, who every player who plays college football is going to get five hundred dollars. That was the the word. If if you're in the game, yes, it's pot. Like I don't think you know all 120 guys on every team are going to be on there. It may not be every single player. It takes a long time to do that, but most of the players who are in the game are going to get that much. Now, there there was some reporting. There's this group called the College Football Players Association saying that that's not enough money. They need to do these other things. That group is not like a big group. It's not like it's a big player. Isn't it one guy? It's it's the guy who tried to start the union at Penn State last year that kind of fell apart. And so like he's got players at some schools, but nothing on a large scale. So that was kind of misinterpreted as the players union is boycotting a sports. That was not the case. Also, there's not totally even a deal yet to, to boycott. It was very much ahead of things. There were some quotes from some players saying, hey, maybe we should try to get a little bit more money. Again, very small type of stuff. The big players, maybe they do try to get a little bit more money. Barry Bonds was not in the MVP baseball series back in the day. He had just a generic avatar who replaced him. So that if, if, a, if a big player is not in the game, that's likely what it'll be. On Tuesday, the Brander Group, another group licensing company, is suing uh, basically over EA Sports doing this deal with one team. And the reason is the Brander group's got like 50, 60 schools that it does a group licensing for. So they're saying, hey, if every school goes through one team for the EA Sports deal, they're breaking the contracts with us that we have with them. So like, we got to figure that out. The Brander group is also making some headlines by saying, we believe we could get the players more money, but that's just kind of business saber rattling, whatever. It's, It's ultimately not about the lawsuit is not about players getting more money. It's about the business of Brander Group because if 
if any if any company can do all the group licensing for every school, then you know what's the point of these contracts? So that's what that is about. I'm going to look into it more later. But this doesn't. It's not really going to change anything. The game is still going to come out summer 2024. It's likely going to have almost all the big players, all the players, and it'll be a lot of fun. So those there's a lot of headlines, a lot of stuff going on about boycotts and whatever. Like it's ultimately not that big of a deal if you're just a college football fan who's looking forward to the game. Yeah. So don't from worry. What I read, yeah. The brand yeah, so don't just worry like they're about, pissed that 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 EA picked somebody else. But the one the only is, detail which is, that which is their right to be, yeah. Yeah. The only detail that that was a little that alarmed me, I guess, mildly, is that to be in the game and to get the five hundred dollars, the players have to opt in by a certain date. And I'm and I'm wondering, like, I mean, that's we're talking about thousands and thousands of players spread all over the country. Some of them are transferring between schools. It's like, who's mm-hmm. getting the word out? How are they getting the word out to every college player? Like, hey, you need to, I don't know what if it's a website or what. Like, if you want your $500, you better do this by June 30th. Yeah, I imagine that's going through the schools themselves who have the contract. That wouldn't be hard. I, so I, I don't think that would be hard to do because if schools made it known, like you just have to basically contact any DFO and they could notify their team just like, hey, if you want to be part of this, it's like, you know, the, the tricky part to me would be, let's say, and this, the timing is not going to, I don't think is going to work out because Caleb Williams, for instance, would likely be gone next year. Right. But if you have players who have a lot bigger platforms, you know, $500 is not a lot for them. Now, I don't think as a college football player, you would sit around and say, I'm going to have my own video game for the year I have left in college football. But I assume somebody could make that presentation to him and say, hey, we can get you a hundred grand to to be the face of this game or 50 grand or whatever it's going to be. And I'm sure that would be attractive to some. It's certainly more than five hundred dollars. Well, there will be a cover athlete and it can be now an active player. So that's probably what that situation will be. Hey, big quarterback. $500 $500 to be in the game, but we'll give you a lot of money to be the cover of it and, and stuff like that. And, but ultimately it comes down to like, it's not that much money, but for the vast majority of players, like they're going to be fine with it. They, they really just want to see themselves in the game. I asked a bunch of players about this at media days last year. And they're like, I just want to be in the game and play with my, play oh, yeah. as myself. Like, like nope. ultimately it's really what it comes down to. And that's why a company like one team could, you know, probably get a, smaller deal than otherwise because they know players just want to be in it and you don't have a union you actually have to go through a lot of the players were ticked when the game went away and yep. i would see over the years i would see fans kind of turning ed o'bannon into a villain as he's the guy he's the reason why the game went away but yep. of course that lawsuit well that was what you know him seeing himself in that game like sparked that lawsuit it's obviously led to much yeah. much much bigger the, the, the way everybody's and i the fact that anybody can get an NAL deal right now started with the O'Bannon case. Um, so I'm with yeah. you. I don't, I don't see a whole lot of players being like, nah, I'm good. Leave me out of that game. I, I want $500 is not enough. Um, but cover, cover, cover athlete would be a different story. I wonder, I have no idea what the, what the dollar figure would be like that for that, but you know, they, that's why these guys have agents now. I mean, any, Marquee mm-hmm. player Caleb Williams is going to have an NIL agent who would negotiate the terms of that. 
Right. And like I said, Ed, Ed O'Bannon did not want the game to go away. He just wanted the players to get money for it. And EA Sports said, we want to give the players money for it. But the NCAA wouldn't let it happen. And so, yeah, that's how Ed O'Bannon became the villain and all that. So, all right. I'm excited for it. Um, thank you also for giving me a little... Uh, it's going to take a while before I can re- recite off the top of my head which conference FAU is in now as opposed to Rice. As opposed, like It even snuck up on me last year with the new Sunbelt schools. But um, how, To be honest, how were you in the kind of um, Atlantic and coastal equivalent of trying to distinguish the Sunbelt from Conference USA for the last couple of years? Yes. I well, never la- figured out it. Last year. Last year was really uh, like I... I knew who was in the Sun Belt like prior to last season. I, I'm trying to remember. Oh, you know what? Scott Doctor and I do the bowl projections. And as we started to do them later in the season, and you know, you've got various like Sun Belt goes here and whatnot. I distinctly remember being like, Marshall, <laughs> well, Marshall will be like thinking, like, oh, Marshall, they can be in this one and thinking of a conference USA bowl. And then it's like, oh, wait, they're in the Sun Belt now. But at least we've got a year under our belt with that one. I mean, there are still times where I will look at Maryland and in my head think of them as an ACC school just because I'm so used yeah. to them as an ACC basketball program. I, and it's they have not been, it's been a decade. Time. Yeah. But at least as a basketball brand, I'll, I don't know why I don't do it with football, but I think with basketball, sometimes it'll just like I'll catch myself. In you, you know which one I, I can never remember in basketball that Wichita State's in the Atlantic 10. That makes that makes no sense to they're me. They're not. They're not in the Atlantic Ten. <laughs> they're in. They're in the American they, Athletic Conference. See, there you go. I can't even remember their conference now. <laughs> I just still think of them as Missouri Valley. Well, uh, the, yeah. it became the Big East basketball conference. And look, I work at Fox, and so I, you know, the Creighton is in the Big East, and some of these, you know, it just kind of. I was so used to going to the Big East tournament when I was working at ESPN Magazine. It was in the Garden, and now there's just a lot of different schools that are part of it. Sorry, I mixed up my final four, um, my final four mid-major teams. You're right. Wichita State's in the AAC. Uh, Loyola is in the A-10, which, I mean, why a team in Chicago is in that conference, I don't know. But, yeah, they're in the A-10. George Mason's in the A-10. Of course, I grew up on when when Xavier was in the A-10. So, um, I would say, you know, our job is just basically just keep track of football realignment. And it's a, it's a fairly small universe relative to bass. I don't know how the heck the basketball writers keep up with all that. Also Kennesaw state moving to FBS next year to, uh, to, to conference USA. So conference USA still adding another one next year as well. Yeah. We have a wave of, of transitional ones who are kind of on the move. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to force your hands to on having to know much about Utah Tech. Well, Chris did a really good story last year about, you know, you see, yeah, Utah Tech. which Formerly to, Dixie, formerly Dixie yeah. State. You yeah. see some of these schools that are making the move, Sam Houston. And it always comes, well, what about North Dakota State? Like, how is the absolute powerhouse of FCS not one of the ones moving up? But before, we, before we leave this, yeah. this I'll, I'll answer that too in a minute. You're going to play this game too, Chris, but I want Stu to go first. I will, I, we're going to talk about the transitional D2 to FCS. There's there's five schools. Wait, wait, wait. D2 to FCS? Oh, yeah. You'll, you'll, rec- you'll have heard come of it. Come on. No, no, no. Come on. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say the school, and then I want you 
to see if you can guess the mascot. Hmm. Okay. First up, Tarleton. The Tarleton. It's not even Tarleton State anymore. Or it is Tarleton State. Or is it just? Are you Tarleton? sure they are? You mean FCS to FBS? No, I don't. No, they're still they, Tarleton is still transitioning from D two yeah, to FCS and is also trying to get into Conference USA to be FBS. Yes, immediately. Yeah. All right, Stu, can you name the city or what their mascot is? Tarleton State, I think, is the Bobcats. No, that's Texas State. I think you're thinking, of, but that's okay. Uh, you got it. Stu, no googling. Can, no, no googling. Stu, can you name the city they are in? Yeah, Tarleton. <laughs> no, no, I cannot. San Marcos. No, I'll give you a hint. It, I think it's known as the cowboy capital of the world, if not the country. I, I know what it is. I'm sure you're in my state. Yeah. One more guess, Stu. Yeah, no, I'm out of guesses. Go ahead. It is Stephenville. Stephenville. But what's All the right. mascot? Chris, do you know off the top of your head? I actually don't know. I know the logo. I know the colors. I know the city. I don't know the specific mascot. The Texans. Oh yeah, that's right. I actually, they're they're head. One of the, my next door neighbor is a relative of the head coach there. Actually, okay. Utah I think the Texas guy is going to do better in this. But go ahead, Utah Tech. What is their mascot? Well, let's think. When they were Dixie State, what were they? What were they? Must Mustangs. Not a bad guess. That's a good guess. Chris? I don't I actually don't know what it is either. I would have no guess. The Trailblazers. I was so afraid, Stu, when he goes, well, when they were Dixie State, maybe they don't know it's the Cups or something. <laughs> I, I remember they got a new logo with Utah Tech name, and I actually think it's a pretty good logo, but the name itself. I remember when Utah Tech showed up on BYU's schedule last year being like, wait, what? Utah Tech? That can't be a real school. And then finding out the backstory. Yeah, it's definitely like the school that Scott Bakula played against in a movie or something, right? So uh, Texas A&M Commerce. What's the nickname? Not the Aggies. Um, Former D2 champion, national champion recently, I think. I don't know. I really don't know. The Lions. Well, I, I knew that, by the way. I knew it was Lions. Do you yeah. know where they're at? Do you know what town they're in? What town Texas A&M Commerce is in? Stu, no, Stu. Commerce. They're in okay. Commerce. Yes. Okay. All right, number four, Lindenwood University. No chance. I, I don't even know what no, state that's in. Stu, I figured you might know this. Is it, is it Missouri? What? Is it in Missouri? Yeah. That's all I know. Only reason why I know much anything about this school is when I got to CBS Sports, one of their sports anchors who's now at MLB Network went to Lindenwood. Um, the Eagles. The Lions. They're also the Lions. Oh, Okay. I feel like you're. If you don't know, you should just guess like Wildcats, Eagles, Lions, Tigers, Mustangs. All right, go ahead. And the last one, Stonehill. Stu, do you know what what state they're from? Uh, Arkansas. Close, Chris. Is that Missouri as well? No, Texas. It is Massachusetts. <laughs> do, they, do, do they is that a football does they, they have football they did i mean they do but it was a very small it was a very small school so the stone uh, are massachusetts well then they must be the patriots that's a good guess the, the Minutemen. no you'll never guess this one this is a tough one chris uh, i have no idea the skyhawks oh that was a good that was good trivia 
It is good. I'm I'm glad Stu's guess for when he when he said where Tarleton is, and it was a logical guess. <laughs> it is a good guess. They they are trying the ones who have football. Like those pop into my head, and I know the ones that. Yeah, I mean, Tarleton. I'm at least familiar with. They've had success. They're moving up, trying to move up to a FBS conference. Some, the last couple you said, like you, the game you should have played was, you know, is this the D two school moving to FCS or did I make it up? Yeah, because you know, I wouldn't have (laughs) the last two. I wouldn't have known. Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah. Uh, All right, Stu. uh, Stu, we appreciate Chris for joining us on the episode today, informing us on all sorts of things, as well as indulging us with with my silly trivia game. All right, thanks to Chris for joining us today. A lot of insight, a lot of interesting stuff that he went in detail on. Stu, we will come back with a next episode. Um, As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail. Dot com. We will work in a mailbag in our next episode. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.